0: team. Good morning, everyone. Oh, y'all alive today. I like that. Uh, (laughs) My name is Will. I serve as one of the elders here at Fairfax Bible Church. Also, I'm the leader of our student ministry, and so it's just a blessing to be up here on stage this morning. I think it's been about a year since being up here. A lot has changed. I celebrate my four-month wedding anniversary tomorrow to my beautiful bride, Jill. And you guys didn't tell me how much uh, being married sharpens you, right? Your wife does amen, right? So as a church, we're going through our six pursuits. Uh, and if you want to know more about those, you can go to our website at fairfaxbible.org. And uh, we firmly believe in these, and I'm going to be continuing into one today. So a few weeks ago, we heard from Pastor Matthew, and he preached on courageous evangelism. Uh, Hang, two weeks ago, preached on fervent prayer. JT last week preached on purposeful discipleship, and today we're going to look at passionate worship. So these are interconnected, right? I looked at these, and I said, all right, so we want to evangelize, right? We want to pray for fruit. We want to make and grow disciples that leads to more passionate worshipers of Christ. Amen? So as we look at our thing for this morning, worship, I want to go to a familiar passage that it might be known to most of you if you've ever grown up in a church or— been around church for a while, right? Uh, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to go through chapter 3 to chapter 4, verse 3 this morning. So if you would turn there in your Bibles, I will start reading the passage. It's also on screen. So it's a big chunk, so bear with me. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that, the king, that king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the providence gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O King, live forever! You, O King, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and other garments and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because of the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the fire, burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the prince of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singe, their clothes were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And set aside the king's command, and yielded of their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. But there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Let us pray. Well, we just thank you so much for the reading of your word, God, that... Uh, we just see you, Lord, through this story and uh, just how you are just worthy of our worship and our praise, God, even through uh, tough trials, Lord, even through uh, various situations, Lord. We just pray that we just see you just high and lifted high, God, that we just worship you more than ever before and pursue you, uh, like, with our whole bodies and whole beings, God. In your name we pray, amen. So a little backstory and on how I landed on this passage. Um, About a year ago in our student ministry, we were going through our lessons and we wanted to uh, study a book of the Bible. So I asked the students, I said, hey, what book do you guys wanna study? And they said, Daniel. And I go, all right, well, you know, I've been in church for a while, right? We know the book of Daniel, we're pretty familiar with it. We we got Daniel's ability to interpret dreams. We got three Hebrew boys getting thrown in a fiery furnace. And then we get uh, this Daniel being thrown in the lion's den, right? So pretty familiar to most of us. Um, but it's really interesting that a lot of times when I've, I really lean into this book bur- or looked at it, I really look for, like, the strength and the power of God to just bring you through trials or t- to defeat the enemy or to overrule wickedness now. That is all well and true, and we love those truths. Uh, but one thing that the Lord continually impressed on my heart during this book was worship. So I encourage you as we navigate through these chapters today that you just keep that in the forefront of your head, right? Uh, but let's define worship, right? So what's the definition of worship? You can see it as something as allegiance or ascribing worth or loyalty. On the screen here, I have a, uh, two definitions uh, that I really like, one from Tim Keller saying, ascribing ultimate value to something. And uh, John Piper has a really good one too. Valuing or treasuring God above all things. Think about that. Valuing or treasuring God above all things. So a little overview of Daniel 3, um, I'm going to go back to Daniel 1 really quickly because you don't start a book right on page 50, or you don't turn on a Netflix to pay it to 22 minutes within the movie, right? So let's go to the beginning of this. So starting in Daniel 1, we get a quick backstory of how we got to this point. Uh, so in the third year, this is in verse 1, of the reign of Jehoiakim king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God." So Daniel chapter one provides an insight into three things, right, that we learn about these Hebrew boys and what they're going through. So their land was conquered by a foreign king, God ordained it, and they were called to a particular role or position or duty, right? And it's interesting to see that these boys were in some type of position of authority, right? They were leaders, managers, they oversaw people, which means so they had the most to lose, all right? So if you're taking notes this morning, as we get into our text, your big idea is this, worshiping the Lord requires all of me. Worshiping the Lord requires all of me. So we're gonna look first at our outward being and our fruit that we produce, and then we're gonna go inwardly and go towards the heart. So throughout the text today, we're gonna see three ways because I grew up Baptist and a good Baptist preacher does three points, right? You going to see three ways we should worship the Lord of all who we are, right? And the first is this, point one. I worship the Lord with my character. And we see this in verses 1 through 15. So as we start this narrative, right, we see a rising action or a first conflict. We see that King Nebuchadnezzar has demanded that everyone should bow down and worship this idol that he's made, right? And an idol is simply something, right, that you worship more than God, right? Um, I love this on the screen here. Um, A couple of years ago, I think a pastor here preached about idols, and this was a a takeaway that really hit me, right? So these are four things here that I think we don't really think about um, as idols, but they actually happen in our lives probably more regularly than we think. So the first one is control. You know you have a control, idol, if your greatest nightmare is uncertainty. Yeah, I see that sometimes. Approval, you know you have an approval idol if your greatest nightmare is rejection. Hmm. Comfort, you know you have a comfort idol if your greatest nightmare is stress or demands. Hmm. And power, you know you have a power idol if your greatest nightmare is humiliation. So these are four idols that I think it's easy for us to see, you know, material possessions, which are idols, and these things that we constantly pursue and chase But I think these really get to the heart of a lot of idols that we have in our, in our lives, right? Um, a word that I learned a couple weeks ago is called syncretism, right? It's combining items or this secret worship that we have. Uh, we see some of this in the story of Micah in Judges chapter 17 with these household gods that he created, right? So we're not specifically talking about bowing to a monumental statue or something that's huge but i want you to think about what are those small household gods that you've set up in your life to worship throughout your day are you trusting in the lord plus fill in the blank are you hedging your best on something else are you trying to scatter everything around and see which one gets me to that point where i want to go when i say i'm worshiping the lord but trusting in blank i'm not loyal right Now think about this, if I was playing for the Washington Commanders, and we're playing the Cowboys, and I'm betting for the Cowboys to win, am I loyal? No, Sam, I'm not loyal, right? So I want you to think, what are we really committed to, right? See, Christ wants followers that during times or tests or trials, they aren't going to bow or trust in other things when times get rough. Why? Because Christ didn't do that himself, right? Right? We see Christ being tempted and not bowing in Matthew 4 when Satan tempts him to bow. And Jesus says in verse 10, he says this, I love it. He says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. See, Jesus himself, when asked by the Pharisees, they asked him, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. See, church... Uh, passionate worship encompasses all of who we are, right? And we first started with our character, right? We see that there. So our character, let's define that, right? It's the way you feel or behave, and I love this quote from Rick Warren, he says, character is the sum total of all your habits. Right? It's what you do every day and then how does that work out and pursue in your life, all right? So as a good Yahweh followers, these Hebrew boys would have understood the Old Testament law, right? And they didn't just understand it, they lived it out. See, here they knew, they believed, and they demonstrated this through their lifestyle. That's their character. See, for a lifestyle worship to the Lord to be part of your character, this wasn't just an on and off switch for them, right? This was a habit, the way that they lived their lives, right? It it wasn't something like, uh, you know, when things are going well, uh, you know, I don't need God, I'm gonna not worship him. But when things are tough, hold on, hold on, I, I need them. I need them, Lord, come here, right? So they loved their God and they were willing to risk everything for him, including their own lives. Wow. See, what type of fruit from our character do we produce when we're tempted to worship something else? Do we fold under pressure or do we stand firm and be bold like we see here with these three Hebrew boys? See, my prayer church is that when we're tested, when we're tried, when we're tempted by things of this world, that we stand firm and that we don't bow down to these idols that come into our lives. You know, I think a lot of times our worship to God is like a cell phone charger, right? So when we're running low and we're low on battery, what do we do? We run over and we plug it up. We get to 100% and we pull it out, right? Or even crazier, right? We flip out when we can't find our charger, right? Or even more, when we lost it, we go on Amazon and get one delivered the next day, right? Oh, church, my prayer is that we don't see our sovereign, holy, wise, and supreme God as a cell phone charger that we only connect to when we need them or we're in search for a new worship when we don't get our way, All right? So how did these Hebrew boys do it? I see that they loved the Lord and was willing to risk every single thing for them, including their lives. But church, is that you? Is that me? Do we have the character to not bow when it seems the easiest way out? Hmm. Can I encourage you that if you treated the Lord like a cell phone charger this month, this week or even this morning there's forgiveness at the foot of the cross church all right let's look at peter denying christ three times and then we see in the new testament we're going through the book of acts like this guy's on fire right he's making disciples and he's boldly telling others about this christ that he's found and that he's worshiping church worshiping the lord requires all of me a godly character matters and it demonstrates worship to christ See, when I stand for God, it shows that he alone is my devotion, and that stands out. Commitment to bow to God alone shouts to the nation that our God reigns. Amen? And I bet people who saw Peter before knew him as an aloof, right? Tossed to and fro, unstable. But now that we see Peter is the rock out of the New Testament. Church, that's living sin, right? That's allowing our worship of the Lord to show Christ to a dying world around us. And we do that first with our character and how we live our lives. See, this world is not our home, nor the final stop. And we have eternal life with the King of Kings and these three Hebrew boys, they knew that. See, character is who you are. It's those habits you have in your life. It's the fruit you bear, especially in times of tough decision-making. I love John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that beareth much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So are you bearing the fruit of righteousness of Christ this week? If you aren't, is there a disconnect? Do you even know him? Are you growing in your worship to him? See, church, to bear fruit in time of temptation, we must first worship only the Lord, and that comes through our habits and our daily activities. See, we stay connected to what we worship, And if we worship the Lord, then we grow in our relationship, and we do that through various ways, through reading our Bibles, through prayer, through fasting, to loving others, to being in communion, what we're talking about, just living sin, right? When we're tempted by life to our own flesh, to things that are happening through the evil one, we may be like our beautiful Savior, right? He's not that cool, I don't want to, you know, bow down to him today. But we see that Christ didn't bow down to these idols of the world, right? And it's the work of the Spirit that is within us that enables us to have that power. See, worshiping the Lord requires all of me. We worship the Lord, first, we saw, with our godly character, right? By the fruit we display, by the habits that we have. And then we see it, secondly, we worship the Lord with our faith. Let's look at verses 16 through 25. See, the Hebrew boys knew that their God uh, would give them the faith to trust in his promises, and they understood that. And I love how faith is defined in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, these guys had a faith that was built on a firm foundation in the Lord. Well, how do I know that? Let's look at verses 16 through 18. See, these three Hebrew boys stared down a king and told him that our God can deliver us from this fiery furnace. And if he doesn't, he's still worthy of my worship, right? Isn't that mind-blowing? How many of us is like that every day, right? Probably not most of us, right? I Not even me. See, worship is not circumstantial, right? I love the unconditional love that God has for us and that these boys demonstrated for their God, Yahweh, right? I think it's a lesson for all of us. And I know that's a lesson for me because that always isn't my response, right? And sometimes we may be like this. You know, God, I would really like for you to fix, fill in the blank. Or I would really like, fill in the blank, to happen. Or I really need you to, fill in the blank. See, this wasn't a test of just willpower for these boys. You know, the little engine that could. You remember, uh, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Right. But this rather was a test of faith power. See, we have a New Testament scripture that encourages that through trials we can have faith. Right. First Peter chapter one, verse six. In this you rejoice. Rejoice. Right. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved uh, by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith. More precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, hmm, may be found to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I love this commentary from Dale Davis. He says it so well. He says, faith does not predict God's ways. It simply holds to God's words. Faith obeys God's truth. It does not manipulate God's hand. Faith is not required to plot God's course but only to God's command. Faith's finest hour may be when it can, when it can't uh, can oppose Nebuchadnezzar's three words, right? Burning, fiery first, with these three of his own. But if not, faith obeys God's truth, it does not manipulate God's hand. Faith is not required to pass God's course, but only to obey God's command. That is faith. And these boys demonstrated that here. See, Christ was a perfect example of this, right? Being rejected by family and friends and ridiculed and slandered, but he was obedient to his father, even to death, death on the cross. So can I encourage you with two things today, friends? Number one, don't be surprised when these trials come in your life, right? The Bible tells us that it's going to happen, right? And number two, you can worship and praise the Lord for them and through them, Because I love the book of Hebrews, right? It tells us that we have a great high priest who suffered all that we're going to experience, and he defeated it, right? See, a lofty savings account isn't going to resolve me by being mistreated by those around me because of my faith in Christ. But worshiping a Savior who was mistreated does. See, a a, a beautiful, healthy wife and kids doesn't resolve me struggling with pain or rejection because I worship a Savior, right, who others don't. But I do worship a God who can sympathize and empathize with me. See, let me tell you this. In a trial, your faith showing the world that I love and follow Jesus, no matter what's happening in my life, speaks volumes. See, our heart that worship Jesus is saying, not my will, but thy will be done, right? May we be a church here a Fairfax College that passionately worships Jesus and demonstrates that through our faith every day, we wake up no matter what life throws at us, what tests or trials that we have, or situation that the Lord allows, we're going to worship the Lord through our faith. Amen? Worshiping the Lord requires all of me. We worship the Lord with our character, with our faith, And lastly, we see that we worship the Lord with our hearts. I love when our love for the Lord just echoes for our dying world, that we pursue something greater. We love something better. This world is not our home, right? So we see in verses 27 through 29 exactly that. It says in the St. the prefects, the governors and the king's councils gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their clothes were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shireh, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god but their own. Wow. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. So what just happened here? you guys see this? An unbelieving king had an interaction with a holy God through the obedience and worship of these three boys. Wow. Right? Listen, it starts with the heart, right? I worship the Lord with my heart. You may be asking, like, where do you see that? Well, let's look in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, right? Right there you start seeing King Nebuchadnezzar start to praise and worship the God of the three Hebrew boys, right? But I think a lot of times we go into biblical stories, learning from the good guys, but here we learn from the bad guy, right? He has a heart change. He starts worshiping and praising the God of Israel, man. So let's, I want to pause right here and let's, let's get this straight, right? Uh, it's not always just good to follow my heart, right? Life isn't a Disney movie, right? You know, you just follow your heart and do what you want, right? We see biblically that scripture tells us, especially in Jeremiah 17, 9, that a heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And we see Christ saying in Mark chapter 7, he says, For within, out of the heart of man, it proceeds evil thoughts, sexual immorality. Death, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sexuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I remember being in the back of the kids, right, and we used to sing this song, kids help me. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And we don't always say righteous things, amen? All right, amen, all right? So, all right, let's keep it real, all right? So we all have this heart problem, right? Our hearts are jacked up, right? So then that means our worship becomes jacked up. And I think it's a warning for all of us, especially of us in here today, right? Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and, and, and scribes, and he quotes Isaiah saying, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And I say that's misaligned worship. And woe to us and bless us here today, but Lord, I just pray that you just align our hearts with our lips when we worship and praise you. For church, we serve a God who's full of mercy and grace, right? And thank God that he cares and loves us with our jacked up hearts. He's, he loves us so much to get down and dirty with us, right? And it takes a constant work in the spirit of God to work in us to purify this thing that we have, right? In my daily reading a couple of weeks ago, I really cling to uh, this verse, two verses here in Joel 2, uh, verses 12 through 13. It says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Church, we have a solution for our hearts. And our God wants us near to Him. And that's why the Gospel is good news, amen? See, we have a hope through Christ for our hearts to be purified from this wickedness. See, my wicked heart wants to bow to idols rather than the one true God, even if it means we get tossed and turned into various trials and fires, right? Jesus is the ultimate surgeon that transforms our hearts from the things of this world to worshiping Him. So today, maybe you haven't had this heart change. I just want to follow Jesus and worship the Lord with all of who you are. But there's hope for the brokenhearted today. And if God God can change the heart of me, can change the heart of you, can change the heart of a wicked, corrupt king, guess what? He can do it for you too, right? Worshiping the Lord requires all of me. So we must worship the Lord with our character, with our faith, and with our hearts. But when we look up and we have our eyes gained on the beauty and the holiness and the righteousness of our God, our hearts start to change because we stood in awe of God, right? Has that happened to you? I love this part of the story when King Nebuchadnezzar stands in the awe and the glory of the Lord, right? He's forever changed. See, being in awe of God has has that led you to worship and praise the Lord recently? Can you remember the last time that you stood in awe of the Lord? Maybe we need to ask that from God this week. Lord, I want to stand in awe of you. Show me your glory today. And I believe he'll do it. Lastly we see what happens when King Nebuchadnezzar stands in awe of our God. What does he do? He starts to praise him. Hmm. I just love this story, right? You get a, a wicked king telling people, godly people, to worship this idol. And in the end, he starts to worshiping this guy himself. Don't you guys want more of that? Don't we want to see unbelievers standing in awe of the Lord and then worshiping him? See, that's why we emphasize here living sin, right? We want more worshipers of the Lord here at Fairfax Bible Church. And this is our big idea, right? Worshiping the Lord requires all of me, all right? Do you know what that says to a dying world? It echoes that we worship something greater than ourselves, than everything else that's around us, and we're willing to risk everything for him. The question, does the Lord have all of you today? Our God demands nothing less than passionate worship. and this world, these worshipers who are going to give all of themselves to Jesus. And it doesn't stop there, right? We see just the king, if you continue on, we just see this continue on and God just continue to show himself in this and then the king, can just keeps on praising and worshiping God. But isn't that our testimony of those of us in Christ, right? One day we were walking this way and then God changed us that way, right? I was worshiping something completely different by God. I wanted and pursued this lifestyle that I thought could make me happy, but God. I didn't want to do anything with Christians or go to church. Matter of fact, I actually joked and persecuted them, but God. See, Christ wants followers who stand firm under trials, not dying down to idols. God wants true worshipers of him, those who worship in spirit and in truth, and we do that with our character, our faith, and our hearts. Worship team, come on up. See, I'll be continuing from last week from JT's sermon on evangelism. evangelism, It's interesting, right? The three Hebrew boys, they did that right here, right? We see actually a new disciple being made of King Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that crazy? I think of Matthew uh, 5, verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So what, Well, You tell me I got a crooked heart. I need a better fruit in my life, right? And my faith is jacked up. So, so what do I do with this? I, I want to give you all two challenges this week. In the first, I want you all to spend time with Jesus, right? I want you all to ask the Lord to just such your you to spend some time in confession with the Lord this week and just say, Lord, I'm sorry for this week. I'm sorry for hitting my desk and building these things around me these parameters that I think that's going to help me out, but they really don't satisfy me at all. And then from that, I want us to be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. So I challenge you all to go and show the character of Christ to those around you. Right? Maybe that's calling a loved one another. be evangelizing to that person at your job or at school this week, or it may just be serving your neighbor. So I want to take a couple minutes right now.